Well, good morning, Northern Hills Church. What's going on? My name is Brandon, and I'm a part of the teaching team here, uh, Connections Pastor at the church. If I haven't met you, I want to meet you at some point. Uh, I'm proud of you all because here's the deal. You have not only survived COVID and the quarantine, but you have survived the great infestation of moths that we are now all experiencing, right? I mean, between that and, again, all the the hazy weather, the bad air quality, just well, well done you being here. Uh, as I was pray, uh, praying and just working through the messages last week, I found myself early part in the week trying to tie up some loose ends. And in doing that, I was writing, I was sitting down in my office uh, getting after it. And in doing so, I, I try to, again, block out all the noise, right? Try to just focus in, what's, what's God doing through this right in? What are, what are the things he's asking to, to sort of put the cherry on top, all those kinds of things? And in doing so, I had my phone that was next to me, and it wasn't on, but it was on vibrate. And so there's a learned trait that many of you suffer from that I also suffer from, and that learned trait is even if it's on vibrate, you still answer it. <laughs> you still uh, go for it, and it's just a learned quality that I had. So it vibrated, I went to the phone, saw that there was a text on there, answered the text, got back to work. But in doing so, it took me a while to get back in the rhythm of what I was, uh, I was getting after. So I remembered that there was an article. There was an article that someone had sent me to just, you know, uh, maybe this will help you, and I, I hadn't viewed it yet, so I'm like, I'm going to go check out the article, but then immediately as I get online and I go to the article and I'm reading through the article, I'm only reading one-third of what's on the page because the other two-thirds are advertisements. They're advertisements, and they're also now uh, drawing my attention, and, and so I'm looking at that, and, and, and again, there's far too much that Google knows about me, right? <laughs> they have the golf clubs on there. They have the sports paraphernalia, all the things that I'm clicking on, and so it draws my attention, and they know how to do it. So now I'm getting a little frustrated. I'm getting a little antsy, getting a little frustrated of all these distractions and things that are drawing my attention to it, and so I decide to do like you do, because I had a number of different windows popped up in my laptop. I decide I'm just going to chill with some music. Music chills me out, and I'm going to go ahead and just calm down and get re-centered to get into this writing, right? And so I go to the YouTube channel that I was on earlier, but nope, I don't see the song that I'm going for, the worship song that I'm looking for. Immediately, I get to see the advertisement for the new Fast and Furious movie that's coming out. And it's like Fast and Furious 125 or whatever it is, right? And so then they, then they do the car piece after that, and so now I'm supposed to go purchase a car, and just distractions and attention given. And someone just had that, that grandiose idea of like, let's give these little ads here because someone's going to have to click on that skip ad at some point, but I'll get 10 seconds of their attention. And that's what it did to me. And so finally, when all of the noise was done, I felt like a guy that was running through a gauntlet just to get to this little bitty part of writing for and tying up a message. And it's interesting how we're in that space because you may not write for a living or you may not work at a desk, but you get what I'm talking about because that's our daily. We get distracted really easily. There is a lot out there that is vying for our attention. See, I got back after it, but only until my phone started vibrating again, right? And then again, yet another distraction. I described our daily when I described that because we are inundated with what I like to call the noise. 
It really is the noise. And, and the noise may look like a lot of different things to you, but the noise I usually say is either the news or the marketing or the notifications, the alerts, the status updates, the postings, everything that we get inundated, this incessant barrage of information that is competing for our attention. You can't get away from it. We've been talking about this during this entire pause series. Over 100,000 words and 34 gigabytes can come to us through the information that we're ingesting. I mean, literally, we have like 10 hours of media a day that we consume. That would crash a laptop if you think about all the information that we have coming in. There's a gentleman, and his name is Nicholas Carr. He wrote a book that nearly won him the Pulitzer Prize, and this book was about all of this. It's called The Shallows, What the Internet is Doing to Our Brains, and he begins by recounting numerous encounters with very bright men and very bright women. These are PhDs within their field, and they all confessed to this similar phenomenon that they were noticing noticeable deterioration of their attention. Even these very bright men and women, easily distracted. And the book would go on to say that the internet and all the information, all the advancement we have is not only uh, taking in that, not only are we taking in that information, but because we take in so much and so much is in our minds that is actually altering the structure, the structure of our brains. That's how much work is doing. We don't ask to focus on really anything for a long period of time anymore because we can't seem to do that. We've adapted to the quick, or what I would call the hurry, that short stimulus that we have of just internet, mobile devices, everything else, and we welcome this frenzied nature. And when we do that, it does something to our souls. Noise. What noise are you being inundated with? If this is our new normal, if the noise is just, okay, Brandon, this is just life, and this is where we got to live, and that's, that's, that's just sort of where we're at in 2023, I would ask you the follow-up question. If this is our everyday, then where does God fit in? Or does He? Can He? Where are you in your life when it comes to the noise and your opportunities to be present with God? Because where we live and what we, this world we live in, it's in stark contrast to the everyday rhythm that Jesus' life portrayed. Mark chapter 1, verse 35, this is our key verse for this morning. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, he left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. See, we're in week six of this series. And this series has been titled Pause. We've been spending time week to week talking about how living in a world that is selling us the message of embracing the noise is something we need to consider. Because culture is saying that that is actually better. If you want to achieve more status, if you want to achieve more influence, if you want to uh, uh, basically have credibility and, and just roll with the punches, then you're going to reject that slowing down. You're going to reject taking time to reflect. You're going to reject putting limits on your life. And in the process of this always going, keeping up with the distractions, I have to feel like we're almost like the frogs. That are, that are living in that kettle, that kettle that's starting to warm up, and we don't even notice what's happening. 
We can't even engage with how much noise is around us. We don't even realize it. Have you kept score on your soul lately? How's your soul doing? Maybe no one's even asked you that before. But if I were to ask you, are you happy most of the time? How would you answer that? How often do you feel lighthearted? Are you excited about your future? Do you feel deeply loved? When was the last time that you felt just carefree? See, through the ages, followers of Jesus Christ, they looked to block out those attention grabbers that were looking to drain their soul, and they would give God their attention. This wasn't just a one-stop shop. It was a regular practice, and it became a very important thing for the people of God. After vividly recounting many challenges of faith and character before us, the author of Hebrews says it this way in chapter 12, verse 1 through 2, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Doing what? Fixing our eyes, paying attention to Jesus, the pioneer, the perfecter of our faith. I don't even think we realize the noise sometimes that we're dealing with on the regular. That is really this assault that is not allowing us to give God our attention. And part of that reason is because we've been conditioned to really just surround ourselves with it. Many of us, we hear the word dead time and we're like, no, I can't have any dead time. Got to be productive, right? What about the word boring? When's the last time you were bored? Like legitimately bored and not maybe turn into something that would grab your attention in two seconds, right? I think boring is actually a word that's probably uh, uh, dying because here's the deal. When I used to take a road trip, I took the road trip, okay? And it was to Steamboat Springs. Those were only our road trips. And I don't know how long yours were. Maybe they were six hours, eight hours, 12 hours. Well, guess what? You're not bored on those road trips now because you can pop in a movie for four hours of the trip, You can play a complete game for the entirety of your road trip. You know what I did when I was on my road trip? I know I'm sounding like the old man now because I am the old man. You know what I did? I looked out the window. It's crazy, isn't it? Looked out the window. I did nothing. Now, the reason why, again, it wasn't because I I could have brought a comic book. I could have brought a choose-your-own-adventure or whatever they were. But we did the windy roads a lot, right? So I knew I was going to get sick. I couldn't quite engage in that way. But boredom? it might be extinct. I don't know if, if, you were, if you were born after 1995, you can't likely remember a time where boredom sort of crushed, was crushed by either the form of entertainment, a movie, game in the pocket, whatever. There are so many things looking to capture our attention. Now, two words, catch this, two words are the antithesis to the noise, all right? And some of you, you'll be really excited about these words. When you hear these two words, you want to embrace them. You're going to love them. You, you just, you've been longing for these two words. And for the rest of us, when we hear these two words, it's going to just feel weird. That's the only word I can come up with. It may even feel wrong in some ways. All right, are you ready for the two words? The antithesis to the noise is silence and solitude. Silence and solitude. And there's those of us in the room that have the hectic schedule, that are maxed out on stress, or that just have a six or five-year-old. And you heard the word silence and solitude, and you're like, yes, 
Give it to me, Brandon. I love those two words. I want some more of that silence and solitude. And then there's some others in the room that were like, ooh, hold on. That makes me a little edgy. This guy's a very relational guy, okay? And so maybe he's sometimes even a codependent guy. And so we hear the word silence and solitude, and we're like, I don't know. Can't, can't I invite a friend to the silence and solitude? Can't I verbally process with somebody the silence and solitude? And so where were you at when I said those two words? What stirred up in you? See, there's a pastor and author. His name's Peter Scazzaro. And he says this about silence and solitude as it relates to the Christian life. He says, these, silence and solitude, are probably the most challenging and least practiced disciplines among Christians today. We live in a world of noise and distractions, and most of us fear silence. Studies say that the average group can only bear 15 seconds of silence, and most of our church services confirm this. How you doing with that? Right? Some of us feel a little awkward in just that space. And some of you actually really enjoyed that space, which I don't know whether to be offended or not, but... <laughs> right? We struggle with silence and solitude. Mark chapter 1. It's a great chapter in the Bible because I believe it's capturing the noise that Jesus was dealing with in his early ministry. It captures the noise that Jesus was doing, actually dealing with in his first day on the job, if you will. Check this out. Here's some highlights of his day. Chapter 1, verse 21 through 22. <clears throat> they went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. So he's up early. He started his day by teaching in the synagogue in verse 29, 31. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. And Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. And so he went to her. He took her hand, and he helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. So he's healing Peter's mother-in-law over lunch. Let's head to the evening, verse 32, 34. The evening after sunset... Uh, that evening, excuse me, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. So he's up late doing some more healing, but also working with the demonized here as well. Now, the whole town has gathered because the whole town is gathered, my guess is that Jesus had a pretty late night. You want to talk about noise? This was a demanding day of ministry, things that were calling for Jesus' attention, things that could have been, again, those distractions at all ends. And so I think to myself, why wouldn't Jesus then lean into that noise? That's sort of a first thought of mine because, you know what, this guy's only going to have three years of public ministry and so he's got to get after it a little bit. This was a really successful day. You were really productive, Jesus. And not much is going to happen if you don't keep up with that movement. The, the world's not going to turn upside down unless you keep getting after it. So the strategy should have been to push harder. 
The strategy should have been to see as many people as possible, to heal as many people as possible, travel as much, preach as much as you could, develop ideas, God, and also bring along people with you. Raise up those leaders as many as you can. Heck with living in the noise, Jesus. Just go be the noise and do this with your day to be productive. But the next day, verse 35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Silence and solitude, there are themes that are saturated throughout Scripture. We see this through the Bible. Great men, Abraham, Moses, David, Paul, we see many special God-sized moments where these men stood and stayed in the presence of God. They were alone with the Father. As you walk through the Gospels, you discover this thread of silence and solitude in the life of Jesus, this getting away to be with the Father. He's fasting and preparing to face the devil, but to do that, he has an extended time of prayer and getting away. He hears the death of John the Baptist. He gets to the boat and goes off to a solitary place when he hears that news. He's about to choose his disciples, the people that he would be doing ministry with, for a long period of time, and, and in doing that says, I need to be alone with the Father to have this conversation. Silence and solitude. Well, what are they? What really are they? What does that look like for us? Silence. I think there's two dimensions to this word, and probably why silence is countercultural and why it's maybe really difficult for us to engage in. Because it's two-pronged. And here's the first prong, is that there's the silence is going to quiet the outer noise in our life. We know about how to have silence and quiet the outer noise, right? That's pretty self-explanatory to us. Turn off the phone. Make sure it's not on vibrate. Just turn it off. Shut down the laptop. No music. No earbuds. No Netflix. Just block out the outer noise. And turning off that external noise, that outer noise, can be tough enough. But I think we forget about the internal noise. The internal noise can be that much harder to silence. Think about the internal for a minute. That mental chatter that never shuts up. The running commentary that you have that's running in your heads on everything. You replay that really difficult conversation you had with a loved one and it turned out sort of lousy. What about our lustful thoughts, our fantasies, and I'm not even just talking about sexual here. We have sometimes fantasies that play in our head of getting revenge on someone, getting revenge on that person that has wronged us, imagining what we would do to them just to get back at them, right? What about our worry, the thing that takes us away, the internal noise that doesn't put us in the presence of God, but instead we are constantly asking the what ifs. The internal noise is the noise that obsesses over the, the hypothetical scenarios or role playing in, in the future and thinking about what the best life to live is, whatever the best life means. And it actually turns poison into our actual lives. So I believe the reason silence is very difficult for us is not just blocking out the external noise, it's trying to block out that internal noise as well. This is why silence is so radical to our thinking. What about solitude? Solitude is the practice of being absent from people and things to attend to God. You get away with God 
to be present and to pay just attention to him and what he wants to say to you. And this is the thing, this is the thing that feeds our souls. But I think we have a trouble in mistaking sometimes solitude with isolation. Well, I got away for some downtime and quiet time, but it, again, because of those many distractions, they didn't turn into any soulful, rich time with God. And so solitude and isolation, I think at times the two couldn't be further from one another. Write these down if you're taking notes. See, solitude is engagement. Isolation is escape. And they're two different things. Solitude is safety. Isolation, that can be dangerous. Because isolation sometimes gets you in your own head and running with your own thoughts. Solitude's how you open up yourself to God and allow him to pour what he's to pour into you. So experientially, we struggle with this. We struggle between these two worlds that sets up the noise and silence and solitude as this titanic clash. And here's why it's the clash is because silence and solitude, it's going to require presence. It's going to require being presence, but the noise is always going to tell you, don't be present, just be productive. Get stuff done. That's what the noise is telling you. Silence and solitude is going to require you to listen, but the noise is saying, no, don't, don't listen. Use this. Talk it out. Figure out what you need to impart into this discussion. And so it's asking you to use your voice. Silence and solitude is going to require stillness and noise is going to keep us hurried and busy. Silence and solitude will require going internal. And I think the noise is going to say, no, focus on those external pieces. Silence and solitude, you will do business with God to the place where you're going to start facing who you are and who God is and the glory of God and why he is bigger than you. But the noise is going to allow you to pose and to project who we want people to think we are. And that's the tension. Because the noise is going to constantly drive each of us to this place where it's the visible world and it's easy to grasp and it's easy to attain. And so words associated with that world are fast and instant and convenient. But we forget also the negative words that are associated with the noise in our life. And that's fragmented. And that's shallow. And many of us are chasing the noise and we're just exhausted. The counter is that if we were to spend silence and solitude with our great God, that great need of every inner man and every inner woman just to have this soul connection with God, which will be harder to attain. It's not just at our whim like the outer world. It'll be characterized by this life that uses words like time and reflection and quiet and depth and slow. Where were you in 2013? Can you remember this little Disney movie that came out called Frozen? It's a little popular movie that came out and Frozen had this story about Queen Elsa escaping the trappings of her world, trying to finally let herself out and, and just be who she wanted to be, her powers being used for things that she wanted them to be used for. And there was this song that we all were familiar with, Let It Go, right? You remember the song and you know the words to it too. And don't, and don't fool that. It's not just five-year-old girls that knew this, all right? <laughs> like 55-year-old women knew this, and so did like military men, and we knew it by heart. There was something in the psyche of our culture that grasped onto that song. Why? Because I believe 
God has instilled in each of us this inner desire to, to truly let it go, to just be in a space where we can, through silence and solitude, experience God's goodness and, and, and realize that we leave all of the trappings of the world and the noise, and we dismiss all of that to be just there with him, letting go of what the world really is offering us that spoke to something deep in our souls. Uh, it was said by someone that the vessel in soul-making it takes time in this inner container scooped out by reflection and wonder. And so it's trying to have us imagine our life as this container that we would just put things in, okay? And the container is going to fill up all the things that, that are negative for us, like pressures and distractions. But there's some important things in that container too, like responsibilities and, and things that, that we need to take care of, uh, making our yeses, our yeses, our noes, our noes. But we also have that fast-paced living and everything just fits into the container. But that container gets so full because you do not have infinite capacity. So reflection and wonder, silence and solitude, getting away with God to reflect on his goodness, to wonder about his nature, what he's doing in your life. What it does is it goes back to that container to scoop out those pressures, to scoop out the noise, to scoop out what you're experiencing and give you morning, give you room to experience God. It gives you capacity to be with God. Psalm 131 expresses the destination that silence and solitude can take us where it can take us. And it says this, my heart is not proud. Lord, my eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me, but I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. And this psalm is King David describing this big picture of total and absolute contentment. If you were to look at the life of David, you know he has the noise. He had many things at the noise, but this is, this is describing no frantic pushing or no compulsive striving, just a still and quieted soul. So how could David experience this? Well, he, he indicated a little bit there, didn't he? I'm like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. It means I'm on solid food now. I've spent time with God to experience something solid, something meaningful, something deep, and my spirit is quiet. I am calm. That's what silence and solitude does. That's what getting away with the Father will do for your life. You're going to get some solid food, some meaty things that are going to help you in the chaos and the noise of life. So I just want to be helpful this morning because we know what silence and solitude are, but how can it be helpful to me to think through scenarios and what, why I would make that a regular practice? And the first thing I want you to consider is, if you're taking notes, is to be ruthless. Yeah, the first thing I want you to do is be ruthless. Make time for silence and solitude because this isn't going to just come with your home screen and a simple swipe. That's not how this works. In fact, Dallas Willard put it this way, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Hurry is the great spiritual is the great enemy of the spiritual life in our day. So just fast forward to 2023, right? Hurry, noise. Tomato, tomato. 
They're the same thing. And I, I, I love how he uses that analogy of being ruthless to eliminate it. It means to orient your life, or not around the noise, but around silence and solitude. Okay, hold on, Brandon. <laughs> orient my life? Now you're getting in my kitchen a little bit. I'm going to try to make time for this. I'm going to try to do this and see what I can make and, and maybe readjust a few things. No. I'm telling you to readjust your life for this because we readjust our lives for every other kind of thing. What do you do when a new baby comes? You're readjusting your life for that new baby and you have to readjust some things and how to handle that. What about when you're pursuing a new job? When you're pursuing a new career, you'll make some adjustments. You'll make adjustments when it comes to pursuing that degree or that dream or the Freitas, we're finally getting a pet, okay? We're going to have to readjust our lives for a simple little dog. And that's why I've been trying to put it off for 15 years now, okay? <laughs> Literally, I say 15 years because my oldest daughter is 15, my son's 12. I'm the meanest father in the world, apparently, because I haven't had a dog. But we're getting one in the next month or so. And that's going to take some adjustment. But we'll make these small adjustments all the time to reorient our life around a pet. Why wouldn't we reorient our life around spending time with our king of kings? We have to do this. This is a must for our lives to be able to just make space for him. It's not necessarily a place you're looking for. Just making space for it, to fight for it, to be ruthless we must readjust our lives. Second thought is just to remember that silence and solitude, they will restore. They will replenish. A lot of times we think of the preparation that takes place in spending time with God, what he's preparing us for, what he's building us up for. But I think we need to remember sometimes when our reserves are just low, the silence and solitude spent with God restores us. It's interesting to me when we look at the life of Jesus and his trek to the desert. Uh, so he's leading up to be tempted by the devil in Matthew 3. And I think, of course, we understand the difficult nature of Jesus' experience, don't we? 40 days and 40 nights of fasting. Whew. Fully God, fully man. Our fully man draws to that. That would be very difficult. Going into the wilderness. And so upon first blush, we can see some humanity pieces in there like that would feel like very weak moment and weakness associated around it. But do you remember who led Jesus into the wilderness? It was the Spirit of God. Jesus was not alone in the desert. And so he uses that month and a half, I'm sure, to be at the ready and to be prepared, but also maybe a little restored maybe a little refreshed to take on what the devil was going to bring him and to leave that encounter unscathed because the power of God was in him, because the scriptures came to mind. And see, I think we get this from a human level because it's why people can come back from a vacation and we notice that they come back from a vacation and they feel better. But have you ever encountered somebody that's come back from a sabbatical? And maybe not a sabbatical, because that, that's hard to wrap our heads and hearts around. That's a long time to get away to be with the Lord. But maybe, maybe a, a, a time with God up in the mountains, a day. <laughs> or maybe it's even just a weekend away. They took a, a mission trip, and they were very intentional about some quiet time and time spent with their Heavenly Father on that. People come back from those events not feeling better. They come back different human beings. Why? 
because they have spent time with God, because they have been, they've been filled up and, and they look at the world with just a completely different framing. The math is so simple to me. This power of silence and solitude, it's going to give us access to God. It's going to restore and replenish us. And catch this. When you are restored, when you are restored and replenished, and you're able to put some of the noisy things in your life in the backdrop, can I tell you that your emotional fortitude, it was not going to focus on the severity of what you're going through, the severity of the chaos you're living, the severity of the, um, uh, the, the, the difficult thing that you're facing, that's not where you will live. Your emotional fortitude will not be in the severity of what you experience in this world. It's going to be in the solution of Jesus Christ. That's what's going to be filled up in your life because you've spent time with him. Last thing. Silence and solitude, daily discipline. Silence and solitude equals a daily discipline. I've loved this series. I think the series has been so timely for me personally, I think for our church and the stories I'm hearing. And I know we focus so much on that Sabbath and really just to make that a priority in our lives where we find that day, stop working. How do we start making space for God? I'm encouraging us to continue praying and having conversations with God to make that space important. And this silence and solitude, I'm gonna encourage us to make this a daily event. Now that doesn't have to mean a three hour closet prayer session. That may not be what God's calling you to do, but maybe it means three minutes on the front end of your day, three minutes on the back end of your day. I'm challenging you to make this space in your daily life because you will need it to survive the noise. See, I don't think the most significant threat to our spiritual lives, it's not in secularism. You may make that argument, but I don't believe that. It's not materialism. It's not threats to our spiritual freedom. That is not the most significant threat to our spiritual lives. The most significant threat to our lives is overscheduled, is distracted, is other noisy things drawing our attention where we now start trying to flip it. See, this is the mistake we're, we're making, and the mistake we're making is we're trying to fit a little more of God into our crowded lives. And we need to do the opposite. We need to do the opposite. We must start with God as being the center of our lives and then allowing all those noisy things to have our perspective through the lens of Jesus Christ and what he's doing in our hearts. That's the opposite of, of, of what we need to embrace and how to live. He's going to move. He's going to move in every single area. But when we have silence and solitude moments, he does become the epicenter in so much of why we look at the world and how we look at the world. I love how Peter Scazzaro, again, I mentioned him earlier with a quote, but he wrote a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And here's how he put this as he was talking about this power of silence and solitude. And he's talking about God appearing to Elijah. Now, if you know Elijah's story, you know that Elijah was in a place of quite the noisy life. He's trying to flee from Jezebel. He's in a suicidal depression. He's at his wit's end. God, take my life. And so God tells him to stand and wait for the presence of the Lord to pass by. 
But here's the beauty of how Schizero describes this. God was not in the wind, as with Job. He was not in the earthquake, as in Mount Sinai and the giving of the Ten Commandments. He was not in the fire, as in the burning bush with Moses. No, God finally revealed himself to Elijah in a sound of sheer silence, which has a little dissonance with it, doesn't it? Sound of silence. Sound of sheer silence. Those little dissonance. But get this. That's the literal translation of 1 Kings 19.12. It's capturing the original Hebrew. Now, translations that you'll look at through different texts, different Bibles, they say a still small voice or a gentle whisper. Why? Because what were translators trying to do? How do you hear silence? It's the very thing that God wants for your life to speak to you. Silence to speak to you. Because the silence, after the chaos, this horrible suicidal depression, after the chaos of Elijah's life, the silence, it was full of the presence of God. And it was in the silence that God spoke to Elijah. And it's in the silence that he wants to speak to you. I believe we have an opportunity to engage in some deep, rich moments when this becomes our life. I'm calling this message blocking out the noise. <laughs> Just blocking out the noise because I trust when we do a little bit more of that, when we enter in to the power of silence and solitude, that we will access God in a unique way a way that maybe none of us have ever experienced before. And when we do that, not only will we know more about who he says we are, but I believe we're also going to know more about the glory of God and what he's driving and what he's doing and what he's up to in our everyday. So would you pray with me? Father, we just thank you for this morning. Hmm. God, we just want to take time to pause and just ask you, ask you to reveal to each of our unique hearts and how you've made us, each of our unique lives that we're living, where silence and solitude needs to rise to the very top, to the readjusting of our everyday. God, only you know the answer to each of those things for each of us. Um, but Lord, thank you so much that you love us so much that you want to engage in that way. <laughs> that you want to have a word for us. That you have spoken to Christ and, and the men of the Bible and, and just so many of us in our own personal lives when we just get away to be with the Father. To find a quiet place to silence our inner and outer noises. And Lord, to just be in that space where it's our full attention on you. Lord, multiply those opportunities in our lives. God, help us to step into those moments in obedience and excitement. And God, we're asking you to have your way because we want the very things, the deep nature of God. So we thank you for our time here.
And we thank you for what you're going to do in our hearts and our, and our minds. We pray these things in the great name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. If you would like to learn more about Northern Hills, you can go to nhills.org. You can also follow us online on Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram for more updates and events. We look forward to seeing you next week.